0: Welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and up top, I just want to say thank you to everyone for your patience. As you saw from my Facebook and Twitter posts, I was sick the past week, so this episode is coming out a little bit later, so I just want to say thank you to everyone who wished me well. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for your patience. And I also just want to say, you know, I wasn't happy about being sick. You know, you're never happy about being sick. But because I was sick, I had the opportunity to rest. And I didn't realize how sleep deprived I was until I spent several days away from work resting and then went back to work and realized, oh my gosh, I am so alert and refreshed. This feels fantastic. I haven't felt this way in a really long time. So I just want to encourage everyone out there, I know that all of us are busy, all of us have deadlines, all of us have projects, get some rest. It really will benefit you. It's something that everyone tells us, you know, our mothers tell us get some rest, our friends tell us get some rest, and we don't listen to them because they do not know what we're going through, they do not know the struggle, but I'm here to tell you, you really will benefit from getting a good night's sleep or a couple of nights sleep. So if you've been working really, really hard and you haven't taken some time out to just recharge and get some sleep, I encourage you to do so. It will benefit you immensely and you'll be able to work even better because you'll be alert. So take it from me. Take it from the person who just got done being really sick. Take care of yourself. You know, it's, it's a good thing. It does a body good. And also, I just want to say, I had the opportunity to see Kubo and the Two Strings, and you guys, that movie is amazing. It is so good. The story is so tight. The acting is amazing. The animation is superb. It is a wonderful movie. Leica has been on an upward trajectory from the get-go. As many of you out there know, Paranorman is one of my all-time favorite movies and now I can add Kubo and the Two Strings to that list. It is a phenomenal film. I highly recommend going to see it. It's wonderful. It's happy and exciting and sad. It's a genuine adventure film and they're really not making that many adventure films anymore. It's just so good. I cannot sing the praises of this film enough so go out and watch it It's absolutely fantastic. Highly recommend it. Kudos to Leica. And now, without further ado, I'm very pleased to present my guest for this week, Chelsea Kinna, freelance illustrator and self-proclaimed kitten enthusiast. Chelsea is a wonderful person. She is so hardworking. She has created so many wonderful children's books, illustrations. She's worked in Social games. She has just done so many things. She has a lot of great information, not only about keeping focused and being organized, but how to create contracts so that you get paid what you're worth, how to know what projects to take on taking time out for yourself to rest we talked about that too Chelsea was just a really wonderful guest I had a really good time talking with her and I know that all of you out there will enjoy hearing what she has to say so without further ado I present episode 26 interview with Chelsea Kenna hello everyone I am very pleased today to present Chelsea Kenna she is an amazing freelance artist who has worked with a number of studios And she is also a kitten enthusiast. Chelsea, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: No problem. Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Very good. So I always like to start from the very beginning. Chelsea, where are you from?
1: I'm from uh, California, Southern California. I grew up here, always lived here.
0: And what were some of your influences growing up?
1: Disney movies were a big one. Disney and Don Bluth, all the classic animation. I also um, read picture books long past the you know recommended reading level. I always love looking at picture books. I still pretty much have all the picture books I had as a kid. They're here in my home office.
0: Are there any particular favorites?
1: There's one called When the Sun Rose. It's, I don't even know if it's still in publication. And Grandfather Twilight, both were done by the same artist. But those really inspired me as a kid. They just have a lot of vivid color and a lot of nice painting with light. And that's the sort of stuff that I'm really into.
0: So what was it from watching various Disney and Don Bluth films and also reading picture books? When was the moment when you decided, you know what, all of these people are making amazing things. I want to do what they're doing.
1: I'd say probably when The Lion King came out. That was, I, I think a lot of artists these days will say the same thing. That was a very formative moment for me. I loved that movie. And I, I think I was in first or second grade at that point And I was old enough to understand that this was something I could do professionally, potentially. And I just thought, okay, I want to do that. I want to get paid to draw stuff like this.
0: Very good. So then as you were going through school and also working on your portfolio and whatnot, what led you to go to Laguna College of Art and Design?
1: I looked at a lot of art schools. I, I definitely wanted to stay local in California um, just because I wanted to be near my family and didn't really want to travel too far. So I looked at a bunch of different schools. I liked Cad because it, it's a very small school. And I don't know, it just had this kind of like, a lot of people say it has this kind of like summer camp feel. It, it was just very small, um, tucked into the mountains. And I back when I was first there, there was a head of illustration was uh, I'm forgetting his name now. I feel terrible. Uh, George Zebot, I think that was his name. He he just really the way he talked to me when he looked at my portfolio really made me feel like this was somebody I could learn a lot from. He's unfortunately no longer at the school. He's I think he's at Long Beach now, but there's still a really great team of teachers at LCAD. And, you know, I had a great experience there.
0: That's good. And what would you say, what was the biggest difference between classes that you had taken, you know, in high school or even not at high school, but like if you had taken like summer classes or whatnot elsewhere versus now that you were in college?
1: Um, You mean in terms of art classes? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I honestly, there wasn't a huge difference because I took a lot of college prep classes, I, I took some classes at a place called Valley Art Institute and that really I think prepared me for art school. but obviously the difference between college art classes and the sort of classes you might have just at your high school is you know it's a lot more you learn a lot more for one thing because you know the primary emphasis is art you're doing a lot more drawing from life, figure drawing and deadlines were a big one. I don't know if all art schools are this way, but Elkhead was pretty strict about at least the classes I had were pretty strict about attendance and deadlines, you had to get your project done on time, you couldn't turn stuff in late. And I feel like that was sort of a good crash course for the industry, because I learned, you know, how to work fast and how to keep a good schedule and everything. So
0: that is really good, because I know that sometimes with school, it's just more of a thing of, oh, you know, it's class, I can just kind of come in whenever and do whenever. And depending on your school or what type of classes you have, some are more lenient than others. So it's good that yours was not that way because that's definitely definitely. not what the industry is like (laughs) at all.
1: It really, really prepared me a lot, I think. In fact, I would say in some ways, art school was more strict about deadlines than the industry is. So I felt like I was very prepared when I started my first job and had to get stuff done quickly by a certain day.
0: All right. And speaking of first jobs, how did you get your first job?
1: My first job was at a company called Meteor Games, which was a video game company uh, in West Hollywood. And I actually got it through a friend, a friend of mine, Claire Hummel, who I've known since art school, not art school, uh, art classes, the classes I took in high school at Valley Art Institute. I met my friend Claire there and she had worked for the owners of this company previ- at, a, at their previous company, Neopets. And they had asked her if she wanted a job with them at their new company, but she had already taken a job at Microsoft. So she recommended me and sent them my portfolio. And that's I went in for an interview and got the job.
0: That's great. And for all the students out there who are going, how can I transfer what I'm learning in school right now to that first job? Do you remember what you specifically had in your portfolio that when they looked at that, they went, oh, she's working at the level that we can work with?
1: Honestly, I think my college portfolio, like looking back on it now, I'm I'm embarrassed by what I had in my portfolio. But I mean, that's kind of always the way it is. As you progress, you know, your portfolio gets better and better. But I did have a lot of figure drawing still lifes. I had the stuff that I didn't so much have that I would recommend people. Like, I feel like I got lucky in the sense that I was able to get a job with a portfolio that was a little bit all over the place. What I really recommend students do is think about where they want to work what they want to do and put that kind of art in their portfolio like if you want to do picture books you know have a lot of picture book type illustrations illustrate like a short story or a fable and put a couple of pages in your portfolio that sort of stuff
0: and was your focus was it always in your mind I want to do picture books I want to do visual development or did you have other things in mind as well
1: well, when I was younger, I actually really wanted to be an animator. I think a lot of Disney kids, they grow up and think, I want to be a Disney animator. Then I took an animation class and discovered I hate animating. <laughs> it takes It's a lot of work, and I, I have great admiration for animators because I don't have the patience for it. So that's when I switched to illustration. And I sort of – it took me a while to come to the picture book angle because – I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my illustration, but then I realized, oh, there's a lot of different things I could do. And I remembered all the picture books I loved as a kid. And it just, I don't know, sort of evolved over time.
0: And you've worked at a number of different companies doing various development of characters and whatnot. Can you tell us more about some of those
1: Sure. Yeah. I actually, I always joke that I accidentally ended up in the game industry. You know, I got that first job through my friend just because, you know, I had graduated. I needed, I had to pay my bills. I needed a job. And Meteor Games, when they first started, they were making an MMO. Which and I'm a huge fan of World of Warcraft. So I was like, this is great. I'll work on an MMO. It'll be lots of fun. But then the economy crashed. And oh. um, so they didn't have the funding to continue the MMO, but they had had a lot of success previously with Neopets. So they thought, okay, we'll do what we know, we'll go back to making flash games and like web-based games. So this and this was like right at the beginning of the boom of the Facebook game industry, like Farm Bill and all that stuff. So I sort of accidentally ended up in that industry for about five or six years. And it was really just like working at these startups, jumping from startup to startup when one went under, got bought out by another one. And it was definitely, I realized not what I wanted to do long-term, but it was a really great learning experience because I had a lot of very tight deadlines and had to learn how to work fast, work on a lot of different things at once. And I, I feel like it gave me a really great crash course and just being prepared and learning how to deal with stuff.
0: How were you able to roll with the punches with that? Because I've talked to other people that are in the mobile game industry and they have a similar story of they're at one company, it's bought by another company or it goes under, then they're laid off. How are you able to deal with that without pulling out your hair and going, wait, no, I just got here. How could you be getting bought by this other company?
1: Yeah, it was tough. I don't know. I think at, at that point, like Meteor Games was stable for at least two or three years. So I had a little bit of time where things were going well. I was at the same company for a while. And then the rapid jumping from company to company happened after that. So I think I just sort of at that point, I kind of, I don't know, just accepted it. And I mean, eventually I did get tired of it. And I just, I realized I didn't, Working in games wasn't what I wanted to do in the long term anyway, so I did leave, but it's hard. I think you just have to be really resilient and recognize, like, if it's not something you want to do long term, recognize that it's it's a means to an end. You're doing what you have to do to pay your bills, to get experience, and eventually you can move on to something else.
0: And how did you finally decide to make that jump to go from, all right, I've been working in games, this isn't what I ultimately want to do, to... I'm going to be a freelancer and find my own clients.
1: It was mostly a combination of me finally just not being able to take it anymore. And a big problem with me is I'm very cautious, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. And I was always nervous about not having a steady income. And although, honestly, when you're working at startups, you don't have a guaranteed steady income anyway. But I finally, like I had been saving up enough money that I was less nervous about taking some time off to build up a client list. My husband had just gotten a stable job at Riot Games. So his things on his end were a little more secure. And I thought, okay, I'm finally gonna take this leap because I'm not happy doing what I'm doing right now. And I need to, like, it's it's time to make a change.
0: And how did you go about finding your client list? Were these clients that you had worked with through the startup itself, or was this from your own social networking or going to conventions and whatnot?
1: Yeah, I started out doing a little bit of work for some people I had met through the game industry, but it was tricky because I didn't really want to keep doing a lot of flash game art, which is what I was doing previously. So I didn't have really any connections in the picture book industry or any of the other fields I wanted to go into. And it took a long time to get things going, I'd say at least two years before I started getting regular work, conventions were actually probably the biggest help. I mean, putting my stuff online, you know, social media and all that, but going to these conventions like WonderCon and CTN and all that stuff, that really helped me get my work out there. And that's when I started getting more regular client work.
0: And how were you able to navigate between what you would deem to be really good, solid client work and clients where you were thought? Mm, this may or may not be the best job for me right now?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, in the beginning, I, I think most freelancers will say they start out, I took a lot of jobs that now I probably wouldn't take given the choice, but I was just desperate to, you know, take any kind of job that came my way. And you kind of, you learn as you go, what, you know, what to look out for, what clients will probably be good to work with, which one, which jobs pay a reasonable amount, which ones don't. It's kind of, it's a big learning process. And now I've got enough work coming in that I feel much more comfortable saying no, if there's a project that doesn't really seem like it's going to go anywhere or isn't going to pay what I need it to.
0: Yeah, this is more of a general question. I know it's going to be kind of different for every client, but what would you consider to be a client that's like a good client where you can tell this project's going somewhere, they're on the up and up versus more of an iffy kind of client?
1: A lot of it has to do with the client's experience, to be honest. I have worked for, I mean, I've worked for, I'm doing some work now for a major company, um, Stanley's Kids Universe. And working with them is a great experience because for one, they've done this. They've been doing this for a while. They know what they're doing and they're just really nice people. But where it gets tricky is when you're working with clients who are kind of new at what they're doing. I've worked for some, a startup publishing company, but that, actually went surprisingly well because the client had previous business experience. But what probably the trickiest thing is when you have self-publishing authors who are like, Oh, I want you to illustrate my book. And, you know, they, mean really well they they're really excited about their project they want to get it out there but i think it's really important to make sure your client has done their own research into the publishing industry you know what they need to have done to get this book published because otherwise you end up doing a lot of the work yourself as the illustrator and that's kind of what happened when i started doing a lot of these self-published books so i don't do as much as many of those anymore
0: when you're talking about the work yourself do you mean not just illustrating but also helping to market and promote the book or are you yeah, talking about like
1: something else? Stuff like that. I, I do a lot of book layout, editing, um, stuff like that. I it just it depends on, you know, how much business experience you have versus how much the client has. And I feel that really determines how the experience is gonna go.
0: All right, that makes sense. So that you don't end up, oh, I am now also your publisher, your editor, yeah, your, exactly. like, your media person. It's like, no, 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 I don't want to do all of those things here.
1: If you're at the point where you are researching for the client how to format the book for their for the self-publishing website they're using, that's probably not a good sign. So I always encourage anyone out there who does want to write their own book, do your own research on how to get that done before you contact the illustrator.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I saw that you have uh, two books that you've done that are currently on sale and that you have another book coming out next year. I believe it's uh, dragons versus pandas. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this book. I'm working with, uh, like I said, Stan Lee's Kids Universe, and they approached me at WonderCon, and they've been a real pleasure to work with. It's, it's very exciting because this is the first book I've done with a major publisher, and the book is written. I'm in the inking stage right now, and I'm hoping it'll be done pretty soon.
0: And did you get that from the two other books that you previously published, or was this through other freelance work that you'd done with them before?
1: No, they they approached me at WonderCon, so I think I'm not sure if they'd seen my work online previously, or if they just saw me at WonderCon for the first time. Oh, okay, and so this was yeah. the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't worked with them before, but yeah, it's been a great experience. The two the books I did previously were from were for some smaller companies, so I don't know if they had actually seen those before.
0: Okay, that's great. And I saw too, that you're in the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Was this before you had done those two previous books? Or did you join the organization and find out more about that side of the industry and then create your books?
1: Yeah, I joined that industry. You know, I forget where I first heard about it. But I really recommend anyone who wants to go into children's book illustration, check it out because they provide so much useful information. I've gone to their convention in LA a couple of times, And just watching the panels, you learn a lot about the industry, a lot of things I didn't know about how to approach publishers, how to get your artwork out there as an illustrator, what publishers are looking for, all that kind of stuff.
0: That's really good. And I'm curious, too, how do you balance your time? Because (laughs) you've worked on a number of projects. You're working on various projects for freelancers. You're working on a book. You have a family. Your husband's also in the industry. How do you keep everything straight so that you're able to make your deadlines, but also have time for yourself and have time for your family too?
1: Organization is a big key. I feel like to be a freelancer, you really have to like working on a lot of different things at once. It's definitely not the sort of job where you're just sitting down doing one thing for months on end. You have to be your own, unless you have an agent, you have to be your own agent. You have to be your own marketing. You have to be your own, you have to do all your own bookkeeping. And I just sort of I use a uh, to-doist which is like a task management thing it's a checklist and I, that helps keep me organized and I just try to like set out time have a kind of a pretty set schedule especially with my daughter you know I have a nanny who comes and I work while the nanny's here so it's almost even though I'm a freelancer I do kind of have set hours to some degree but it's just important to stay organized that's what really helps
0: It's good to hear about the set schedule too because I've talked to other freelancers where They've told me that a lot of times, especially when they're starting out, everything kind of bleeds together, where they'll wake up and they work, and then they have lunch and they work, and they're kind of always on the clock, even when they say, okay, now I'm just going to be doing this. But they're like, but I could also be doing this. And so things sometimes get out of whack.
1: (laughs) That was very much the case for me before my daughter was born. I didn't have a set schedule. It was all over the place, but I think when you have a kid, you really have to change your process a lot because you know once the nanny leaves, it's just me and my daughter and there I you know, I have to spend time with her. I have to make sure she's happy and entertained and so I have to make sure I'm maintaining a set schedule now.
0: That makes a lot of sense too because I, I know a lot of people might think, "Oh, but if I'm at home, I can watch them and work at the same time." <laughs> it's like that yep. doesn't really work. It's not like they're going to be like, "Oh, Mom or dad's working. I guess I must be quiet now. It's like eh, maybe.
1: I assumed that's how it would go before she was born. I was like, oh, she'll play next to my desk while I work, and very quickly I realized that's not how it works. And so we ended up having to hire a nanny. We hadn't planned on hiring a nanny originally, but yeah. So definitely, if you're a freelancer who wants to have kids or. If you're thinking about going freelance and you have kids, know that just because you're at home doesn't mean you can be a full-time stay-at-home mom and a full-time work-at-home mom at the same time. Like you have to separate it out a bit and have either some kind of childcare or a nanny or somebody watching your kid while you work.
0: That makes a lot of sense and and I wanted to find out too you had mentioned having an agent and I was wondering, do you currently have an agent because it sounds like you're doing just fine without an agent, so for people that maybe they're thinking about getting an agent. Do you have any thoughts on whether you think that's necessary or not necessary?
1: You know, I still ask myself that question all the time. There are pros and cons. I mean, the con, obviously, is the agent does take a percentage of what you make. But if you're the sort of person who doesn't want to deal with the negotiating or needs help, what the agent would essentially do is, you know, help you negotiate your fees, help you find clients, help you with a lot of the marketing And it's something I've considered looking into in the future. I just haven't really decided whether or not it's something I want to do yet. I think if I ever get to the point where I'm spending a lot of time answering emails and stuff, then an agent would probably be useful.
0: You mentioned that it would be good to have, if you wanted help marketing, but I have seen your plethora of sites and you're doing an amazing job with marketing. (laughs) You are on... You're on every site and I want to know, is that just from talking to other people that you've met in the industry, or did you read different books and like how did you figure out how to best market yourself?
1: Well, honestly, my strategy is put myself put my stuff as many different places as possible because the more it's out there, the higher the chances are somebody will stumble across it when they're looking for an artist. And that's really what I recommend people do. You know, they use social media a lot. It does take a lot of time. Like I have to set aside time whenever I finish a new piece of artwork to publish it. I have this long list of bookmarks that I publish my art to each one of those sites. And, you know, you schedule posts and it's, it's almost like that's a whole job in and of itself that you have to take into account.
0: And I saw that you sell on different sites too. And I know that some people might only sell on one or two. Have you found that it's advantageous for you to have multiple sites for your products? Or do you think that it would be better for everything to be on if there was some kind of website that could just do all of that for you?
1: I do find you make better sales when you're marketing your stuff regularly. And when you have your art on a lot of different sites, it's harder to do that. I probably don't sell as much on, um, my print on the various print-on-demand sites I use because I'm not actively marketing those as much as I should be. But the nice thing about those sites like Redbubble and Society6 and stuff and TeePublic is you get kind of just people will stumble across your stuff when searching the site without any advertising effort on your part. So that's why I like having my stuff on those sites. And then I focus the majority of my marketing efforts on my store envy site.
0: That's really good. And I saw also that you have a Patreon account. And I know that a lot of people are getting into Patreon right now and they're finding that it's a good way to connect with their viewers. Have you been finding the same?
1: Yeah, I need to get better about promoting my Patreon. <laughs> I haven't been doing that as much, but yeah, it's it's really interesting because you end up talking to, you know, your patrons more than you would a regular just regular follower on social media and you get to see what people really want to see, what they, you know, they ask questions and stuff, and it's kind of a nice way to like get a little extra income on the side for work you know, for your personal work while letting people see a little bit more about your process and everything.
0: That's good. And talking about process too, like as you're working, you know, you mentioned that one of your friends was one of the reasons why you were able to first interview for your first job. And you also mentioned someone at Laguna who you talked to, and that's how you decided to go to that job. Who else have you worked with or who else has influenced you as you've been working on your journey as an illustrator?
1: Gosh, basically everyone (laughs) there. You know, I follow so many artists on social media and there's so many other fantastic artists out there. It's, you know, I think that's another really important thing is, you know, staying active in the community because you'll meet a lot of really talented and great people and they'll teach you things and give you advice that you wouldn't have come across otherwise. And it's honestly hard to name them all because (laughs) there's so many different people I've worked with and talked to over the years.
0: No, but that's really good because it's I think sometimes the tendency might be for people to be in an art bubble where they feel like, you know, I just want to sit and draw, which is I mean, it's good because you have to be able to sit and draw or model or sculpt or whatever it is that you're working on. But sometimes the social interaction FaceTime part is left out.
1: Mm -hmm. And this is definitely an industry where networking is very important. Especially these days, it's not really like when I first graduated, it was more, you know, you send your portfolio to companies and they review it. But I find, especially with freelance, that's not really as much how it works anymore. A lot of most of the jobs I get are either from conventions or people finding my stuff online or via friends. So networking is really important because you never know, you know, that artist you meet might end up working for a company you really want to work for. And, you know, that's a good contact to have in the future.
0: And I saw, too, along with conventions, that your art has been featured in a number of gallery shows and at a number of different places. Were those places that you found yourself where you saw, oh, they have a gallery, this would be an excellent place for my art? Or were these places that came to you and said, we found your art, we would really like you to showcase?
1: Most of them have been, they've had open calls for art and I've seen other friends displaying their art at these places. And they, like Gray Art Lab, for example, they have a blog where they post open calls for art and anyone who wants can apply. So I've done a couple shows with them. I think Fan Alley may have approached me. I I can't, I honestly can't remember. Maybe I I approached them. But most of the time it's, I just come across these open calls for art that other friends have shared. And, you know, I just post my stuff and see if it gets in.
0: And speaking of Fan Alley, that's actually where we met and you were on a number of different panels. Did they approach you for that and say, "Chelsea, your art is great. Come be on a panel." I
1: think they did. I don't remember. Uh, i Eva, the you know owner of Fan Alley, she's fantastic, and I've done some gallery shows at her shop before. And I can't remember if she approached me or if I commented on her Instagram when she was looking for artists. But yeah, I, I definitely wanted to be involved in that because she's a really great person and very supportive of artists. And mm-hmm. it was a really fantastic event.
0: Yeah, I I like everything that they did. And I'm glad that they're going to continue on with various conventions, because it's really helpful. And it's also very affordable, because a lot of times, you know, I found that conventions are getting to be more and more and more expensive. And I understand because they have to cover the costs and cover the costs of the venues. But it's nice to be able to go to a convention that's priced for everybody. And that is smaller, because then you have a chance to actually have a conversation with people
1: especially for art students because you know a lot of them are in art school or went to art school and that's already so expensive and you know you don't want to have a massive entrance fee for a convention that's intended for art students. I think it makes it really hard for them to attend. That was the great thing about the Ground Zero Expo put on by Fan Alley is just it was so affordable for everyone. It was affordable for the artists, it was affordable for the students. It was just a great experience overall.
0: And looking back you've been a working professional for several years, you're working on books, you're going to conventions. As you look back on how you were as a student, is there any advice that you would give your student self or to anyone either in art school or just professionals in general that things that you wish that you knew at the time?
1: I wish I had focused more. I think college is kind of a tricky time for some people. I know it was for me because it's for a lot of people, the first time you're away from home, first time you're really dealing with serious deadlines and for art, especially the first time your hobby is sort of suddenly work. And it was for me a really stressful time. And I feel like that distracted a lot from, you know, learning just, I was trying to just find my feet as an adult. So sometimes I wish I could go back and be more focused, but it's kind of It's just kind of a coming of age process. But in general, just practice. The advice I always give is draw as much as you can. The more you practice, the faster you'll improve.
0: Speaking of your hobby becoming your work, do you still have time to draw just for you and just things that you want to draw that you don't care if anyone else sees it? Or do you find that it's more what you are drawing for your clients and for your book is what you'd want to be drawing. So you don't really worry about that too much.
1: Lately, it's shifted more in that direction where I'm stuff I'm drawing for work is super fun and I'm enjoying it. Uh, it when I first started, I was doing a lot of work that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to be doing in my own free time, and it was hard to like find the time to draw for myself after work. And especially now that I have a daughter, you know, I get about two or three hours in the evening to myself, and it's well, do I want to draw more? Do I just want to relax and watch some TV? It's kind of a it's a tricky balance, and there are a lot of nights where I admit I just sit down and play some video games and just don't want to draw. But it's nice that I'm now doing art for work that actually is really I find really inspiring.
0: That's really good. And I like what you said about too, just spending some time to relax.
1: Yeah, that's because really important.
0: I don't think a lot of artists relax. I think it's almost like a, a boogeyman term where it's like, I can't relax. I must constantly be creating. and it's like, but if you're constantly doing that, and you don't relax. You'll, you'll keel over.
1: <laughs> yeah, that really leads to burnout. And I I actually wrote this big long post on burnout, which has floated around Tumblr a couple of times. I struggled with that a lot, because there's a lot of advice out there that, you know, you have to every second of every day, you have to be drawing and make sure you draw this many hours a day. And that's great advice for improving really quickly. And it's true, the more you draw, the more you the faster you'll improve. But You know, that's not sustainable. Everybody needs downtime and artists shouldn't feel guilty for, you know, at the end of the day, if you're like, I want to sit down and watch some Netflix and play video games, that's okay. You should be allowed to do that because otherwise, you know, you'll just get completely burnt out and that's not good either.
0: It's okay to be a human being. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. I feel like uh, I agree with you on that because I know for me, it's this thing of, I used to have this thing. It's like, no, I can't sleep. I must draw. And it's like, if I don't sleep, my body will just make me fall asleep. So I can either willingly choose to take care of myself or my body will shut down. And you don't really want that to happen.
1: I pulled so many all nighters in college, it was terrible. And I, I think having a kid especially really changes your perspective on that where sleep is precious and free time is precious. So, you know, everything becomes a bit more of a balancing act.
0: You know, and now that you're in the industry too, and balancing things out, What are some changes that you've noticed in the industry since you first got started? As as far as, you know, different content being created and whatnot, do you feel like the industry is going in a different direction than when you were first started in it?
1: I think it now, especially like with social media, there's a lot more opportunity for individual artists to be seen. When I first graduated, like I said, it was more of the, you just send your portfolio to companies and that was that. I don't even know if Tumblr existed when I graduated. It may have, or it was in its really early days. But now there's so much opportunity out there for individual artists to become, you know, known for either the comics or the stories or the art they create. It's it's a really nice time, honestly, to be an artist and to be using the internet. And I really encourage all young artists to take advantage of that.
0: And have you had a chance to do that too? I mean, you mentioned, you know, getting to play games and getting to watch Netflix. Are you also able to go out and see the different kinds of art being made and going to see these different kinds of movies and reading different picture books and just seeing the different art styles being created?
1: Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I was tweeting about this like an hour ago. Oh, that's good. I, I, um, I, unfortunately, ever since my daughter was born, I haven't had as much time. Like I literally haven't been to the movie theaters. Once since she was born, and that's just kind of the inevitability when you have a new baby. you don't get out a lot. I'm trying to do that more, and I'm trying to force myself to make time to look at art online at least because it's it's really important. I find when I'm not doing that often, my art kind of stagnates. it's It's important to like make sure you're continuously exposing yourself to what else is out there
0: That's good. And I mean, I know that you just mentioned you know you're you're getting back into that. Are you noticing? any trends? Like, do you see anything that you feel like fellow illustrators like yourself should be paying more attention to?
1: You know, I'm, there are always style trends and content trends. I, I I don't really think that's something artists should worry about. I think they should draw the way they enjoy drawing because I find frequently what young artists graduating from college will do is they'll latch on to whatever the popular style of the moment is and try and make their art look just like that. And the problem with that is then you just look like everybody else and, you know, you don't stand out as a unique individual. I think a few years ago, Mary Blair's art was really had like kind of come back into being trendy. And a lot of artists were like doing really excellent copies of Mary Blair's art, but it's like, you know, there already was Mary Blair, you know, you, you don't want to be a copy of Mary Blair. You want to be your own individual. So I encourage artists not to worry about trends and to just find their own niche. There's an audience for everything and just do what you like to do in art and you'll and find your audience.
0: That's really good. And I think that relates too, because I saw on your site you had a post because you, you answered a really good question that someone had where they were concerned that by practicing styles of somebody that they like, they were very afraid that they were just going to end up being a copycat of that person. And I feel like you answered that well by just saying it's fine to admire different styles, but just practice a variety.
1: Yeah, definitely. Rather than just
0: focusing on one person. Because, yeah, if you just do one person, you'll be like a clone of that person. But if you're taking in information from lots of people, it'll eventually just work its way into what you already like to do.
1: Yeah. And everyone falls into that trap at some point. I mean, when I was younger, I drew pretty much nothing but Lion King fan art for a very long, long time. And I had to kind of get myself out of that rut. And I still think it's really obvious in my art where my roots were. But it's it's very important to look at a lot of different styles and make sure you're not just only looking at Disney art or only looking at anime. You know, look at everything from classic painters to modern animated films, basically everything.
0: Speaking of wanting to get out and experience different things, like what are some of the future things that you would like to work on and that you would like to do?
1: I've always wanted to do a picture book with glitter. I've said this a million times, but I I don't know why. I just really like glitter. Like, you know, the books with little spot glitter, like Christmas books. I've always wanted to do one of those. So I hope I get to do one of those at some point. And I don't know. I've got my own book ideas I'd love to write and illustrate. I mean, I, I wrote Dragons vs. Pandas, and I've got a couple of other ideas I'd like to do eventually. I've also always wanted to get into, like, Disney publishing stuff. Although I think they use a lot of in-house artists for that. I'm not sure how many freelancers they use, but I, I kind of have a wide variety of career goals, which is the nice thing about freelance is it gives you a lot of opportunity to do different things.
0: Do you think one day you'll do a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign, or is your goal more to work specifically with a, an already in-house publisher?
1: Yeah, I've thought a little bit about that. You know, a lot of people are doing those plush Kickstarters now and always wanted to start one of those. Like I, I draw my cats a lot, Gato and Bipo, and I've always wanted to make Gato and Bipo plushes. So I've been thinking about that for a while. It's definitely something that I'm planning on doing in the future. I'm just waiting for the right time when I can really focus on it.
0: That sounds good. I know that you will because <laughs> you are very organized and you have a, a you. wide variety of work going on. So I have no doubt in a year or two, I'll see like, oh, look, she made her plushes. There they are. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Chelsea, is there anything else that you would like to share? Anything I didn't ask or that you feel like is just very important for either people in school or people making a change from one part of the industry to another that they feel like, you know, would be very beneficial for them to know?
1: Well, in terms of changing industries, I think one thing that's important to recognize and that I ran into a lot was if you're switching industries, it does kind of feel like starting over and it can be very frustrating at first. You know, I had gotten, been working in the game industry for a while. I was working as a lead artist. I, things have been going pretty well. And then when I switched to freelance, nobody knew who I was. I hadn't been posting my artwork online. I hadn't been interacting in these children's book circles and stuff. And so I was really kind of, I felt like I was starting from ground zero with a lot of people who had just graduated school, where I'd been out of school for like six years at this point. And it makes you feel very frustrated because you're looking at your peers and saying, oh, well, they're like climbing the ladder at the companies they're at. And here I am starting over again. But I, you know, I've said this over and over again on my blog. What I always tell people is there's no deadline for success. And you shouldn't feel like you need to compare yourself to somebody else. Everyone has their own unique circumstances. And if you're switching industries, it's understandable to be, you know, feeling like you're starting over again, but you'll get there when you get there. And the only thing you should be worried about is, you know, your own path. Everyone's path is different.
0: That is excellent. Cause I know a lot of people often feel like they're on some kind of ticking clock.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It, it's because they're looking at other people, but what they're not seeing are the, the years and decades that those other people put in to get to where they're at. And those people are looking at other people. yeah that's the thing everyone's looking at someone else going yeah what I'm doing is okay but I want to be that person over there not realizing that person is looking at that person
1: yeah and everyone has different challenges too like it's easy to look at someone who's like hit it really big at 19 or 20 and think gosh you know I'm I how come I'm not as good as them how come I'm not there but maybe you know you've been focusing on other things maybe you worked at a Different job for a while. Maybe you've been focusing on your family. Maybe you've been dealing with health problems. Like these are all things I've dealt with in the past years and it slows things down. And it's just, I've tried to make it less about when I'm going to get to where I want to be and more just enjoying myself along the way.
0: That is awesome. And I hope that everyone takes that to heart because it really isn't about when it's enjoying where you're at and doing a really good job where you're at, and then eventually getting to where you want to be without setting some idea of if it doesn't happen by this time, it's not going to happen or I have not accomplished something.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's not a race.
0: (laughs) Very cool. Well, Chelsea, thank you. I really appreciate talking with you today. It's been really cool. (laughs) And I'll, I'll make sure to include all of your links in the show notes for all of your your various sites. And again, I just have to tell you, I'm really impressed because out of everybody that I've talked to, you are the most organized with your social media. I mean, (laughs) you've got the branding down pat. And actually, that is something I think I might have asked this earlier, but did you read marketing books or talk to different people? Because you really, you're really spot on with you know, your various illustrations and the sizes of everything and your descriptions of everything. And, you know, the photos that you have of you. I mean, it's all very well put together. So thank you. you. Were you reading books or talking to other people or did that just Um, come out of practice and time?
1: Yeah, it was a combination of practice and time and looking at what other people are doing. I just kind of saw what other people were doing and what seemed successful and what worked and what didn't. It's it's a lot of uh, experimentation. I've changed strategies a lot over the years.
0: Okay. And and your current strategy now is just, is it as many places as possible? Or have you found that there's just some sites that are just better suited for your needs than others?
1: Yeah, definitely. I find there have been a few sites I've tried posting on and just didn't get as much traction. You know, you kind of have to see where your audience is. If you do, like I draw a lot of cats and stuff and... So if I'm posting on a website where there's a lot of fans of spaceships, I'm not going to get as much, you know, traction there as I would if I post somewhere where there's a lot of cat people. So I just kind of experiment and see where my art does well. And if I find something's not working out, you know, I don't spend the time on it. Like there's a balance. It takes a lot of time to post your art on all these different sites. So posting your art everywhere possible is, it's not as beneficial as finding a collection of sites that you th- think your art will do well on and focusing on those and then trying to post it to as many sites where you basically as many sites where you feel your art will do really well and will actually, you know, get you visibility.
0: Okay. And I have another question too, because I've had I've seen this question pop up, usually with people that are younger or just getting started. And I wanted to find out if this is a real thing or not. But people talk a lot about art theft online, especially with like, I've heard people mention like deviant art can be really bad with that. Is that something that you've experienced? Or do you find that that's not really a concern? It's more of just this idea that maybe younger people have in their head, but it doesn't really happen as much as they think?
1: Yeah, it happens. I think it's, when I was younger, there's a lot of it within these young fan communities. But I don't really worry so much when it's just a kid like tracing my art or if some kid reposts my art. I'm just, I am just like politely send them, you know, say, hey, this is my artwork. Can you please take it down? And if they don't, then I just report it and have the site take it down. The only time I worry about it is if someone's making money off of my art, which I have encountered a few times on Etsy and a few other websites. And then, you know, you contact the staff of the website and they remove it. But and it's just I think a lot of people get too worked up about kids you know, stealing their art. Not to say that it's okay to do that, but just understand that a lot of these kids don't know any better. They might be like 11, 12. They're just practicing. They're just playing around on the internet for the first time. I consider those kind of teaching moments. It's a good opportunity to be, you know, a positive role model and say, hey, you know, it's not good to post somebody else's art without their permission. And that's usually how I handle those situations. The the real concern is, like I said, when someone is making money off of your art. And that's obviously a legal issue. And I wrote a long post about that at one point. I'm trying to remember what I said. <laughs> but basically, usually I contact the staff of the website and that's the best way to deal with that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. I was just curious because I didn't know if that was... I had heard of that happening with people, but it was a while back. So I didn't... And I assumed that, well, I'm I'm sure that somewhere on the internet that's happening, but I just didn't know if that was something that's very pervasive that everyone should be aware of and just watermark everything or if it didn't happen as often as people thought.
1: Yeah, I you know I don't recommend people put giant watermarks over their art because it looks bad and it doesn't necessarily stop people. I've had people try to sell my artwork with my signature still on it. And I think oh, wow. a signature. Yeah. <laughs> I just put a signature and my website in the corner. So if someone posts it someplace else without credit, at least credit is directly on the image. But I think actual instances of people reselling my artwork, thankfully don't happen that often. It does happen, but it's not like a constant issue. It's just, it is something to be aware of, but people don't need to be so paranoid that they cover their entire image in watermarks. I mean, there's always a risk when you're putting your artwork online that it's going to get stolen, but you kind of have to weigh the risk versus reward and putting your artwork online and making it look nice and not having watermarks is much more important to getting work and, you know, getting yourself out there than it is to prevent the like occasional art theft that comes up.
0: Okay. That's good. That's very good. And this is sort of related to that too, as far as like watermarking and getting your art out there and getting credit for it. Since you are now freelancing, I know that you have to deal a lot with, you know, writing contracts and whatnot. Do you have any suggestions for freelancers in terms of having correct contracts and then, you know, end of the year, like taxes and those kinds of issues?
1: Well, this is also an area where an agent helps um, if you don't want to deal with this stuff yourself. I hate dealing with contracts and that's probably one of the biggest draws of having an agent uh, that I've considered. But what I've done, there's a book called The Graphic Artist's Handbook, I believe. Let me make sure. Oh, it's called uh, Ethical Pricing Guidelines and it's by the Graphic Artist Guild. And I really recommend every freelance illustrator have a copy of this book because they have sample contracts in the back and they have a lot of really good advice on pricing and you know just working business deals in the industry. For taxes, I recommend people bookkeep, you know, do bookkeeping, do it regularly. I use GoDaddy bookkeeping, which it isn't free. It's you have to pay for it. But honestly, it's worth it because it imports all your transactions automatically. And just once a week, I go through and make sure everything's in the right category. And it makes tax time so much easier because it's all already set up. And I have all my business expenses, all my income, and it's all right there.
0: That is good. And is that something that Laguna or other colleges offer? Or is that more something that you learned on your own or working with other freelancers?
1: This is something I wish more art schools spent more time on. (laughs) I definitely had a business class in school, but I don't remember most of what I learned in it because I didn't go freelance until many, many years after I graduated. So a lot of it, I just figured out on my own from Googling. (laughs) It's definitely one of the more confusing parts of being a freelancer. And that's why I find that book so helpful. I definitely recommend. Everyone check that out.
0: Okay, so I will I will recommend that to people too. Actually, I uh, I had spoken to Christine Knopp, and she had mentioned that book as well. Oh and yeah,
1: she, she's a friend of mine. She's an awesome. Artist
0: oh cool. Too. Yeah, she's actually she's a friend of one of my friends. So that's how I got in contact with <laughs> awesome. her. We all ended up uh, having dinner together at after CTN, but she was talking about that book and how it was really really helpful. So I will mention that book again to everyone because it sounds like the book to have if you just want to make sure all your paperwork is straight
1: they have pricing recommendations too which is great because if you look online it's really hard to find out what you should charge for stuff so they provide a nice like range for various projects
0: have you ever had to negotiate with people or have you has it been fairly straightforward with you saying i would like between this range and this range
1: there's always negotiation, pretty much always. With big companies, I find there's less negotiation because they've worked with a lot of artists, so they kind of have set prices and it's they're usually more reasonable. With self-publishers or people just writing their own book and they want an illustrator, that's where negotiations can get really tricky because they don't usually realize how much it costs to hire an illustrator. And so when you give them a quote, they're like, oh, you mean you can't illustrate my entire book for 50 bucks? And I'm like, no, I can't do no. that. I'm sorry. <laughs> And in that situation, you know, you can say, this is what I charge minimum. If you're not willing to pay it, then unfortunately I can't illustrate your book. And you just, you have to be firm on that because I've done projects where I've taken less than I really should have, like a lot less, and it's not worth the time because you just you end up doing a lot of work and not making enough money off of it. And usually the clients who aren't willing to pay you fair prices tend to be the most difficult clients. So you're making less money for more work and more difficult work. So it's really important to like, make sure you're setting fair prices for yourself.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And also it it sounds like it's a red flag too. So, whoa. Well, if they're not willing to pay a fair price from the get go, what else is going to go wrong with the rest of this project.
1: Like if they don't value your time and effort and if they haven't done the research into like what this costs, like if they're not, if they're not willing to pay more than 50 bucks for an illustrator, they're probably not going to be spending the money they need to on marketing. The book's probably not going to sell very well. It's just royalty contracts really aren't useful in that situation either. It's, it's just, it's definitely a red flag.
0: (laughs) That is good to know. Sounds like a, a buyer beware kind of situation yeah all right well thank you so much chelsea i really appreciate your time today
1: no problem thank you
0: and that concludes today's interview special thanks again to chelsea kenna for being a marvelous guest and you can check out all of her amazing websites as well as her patreon account in the show notes and also on the website at www.theanimatedjourney.com And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to leave a positive review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has left a review so far. I really appreciate it. And if you'd also like to support the show, you can visit the website and click on the PayPal button on the right-hand side. And special thanks to today's rock star fan, Jason Fisher, for donating to the podcast. Jason, thank you so much for your contribution. I really appreciate it. Helps keep the show up and running. Helps to pay for hosting costs, tech, all of those wonderful things. So if you want to be a rock star just like Jason, you can also donate to the show. And also, please make sure to support all of our sponsors. Amazon.com, Audible.com, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Website Hosting. Every time you click on those banner ads on the right-hand side of the Animated Journey website and make your regularly scheduled purchases... Those companies give a little bit of money to the show. And all of that money helps me to keep the show up and running. So thank you to everyone who has supported our lovely sponsors. I appreciate it. And I know that they appreciate it as well. And if you want to check out what's been going on in the animation world at large, make sure to visit all of the show's social media sites. You can become a fan on Facebook by visiting www.facebook.com. Slash the Animated journey. You can follow on Twitter at animjourney, on Instagram at animjourney, and on Tumblr at www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And if you want to see what I have been up to lately, you can check out my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Twitter, I'm at sketchysoul. On Instagram, the handle is at sketchy underscore soul. And on Tumblr, the site is www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. So that concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Chelsea. Thank you to everyone for listening. I appreciate it very much. Thank you all for your patience as I work to release this episode. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.